In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we bring to you the most literal torch song that we can find. We talk about a singer who's been stuck in Plato's cave. And we talk about a song hated by the band, but loved by Bill and Frank. This is our take on The Flame by Cheap Trick. So Frank, a few months ago, we talked about the torch song as being a specific type of sentimental song. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And torch songs are a perfect fit for what we do here at Guilt Free Pleasures. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I feel that today's song is almost quite literally a perfect torch song. I was thinking that too. I'm a very literal person. So The Flame by Cheap Trick. Yeah. Ultimate torch song. That's right. After the fire, after the rain, still holding that torch, he's the flame. weeks ago when I got back from my vacation and we met up and we recorded our next episode, I said, I really want to do cheap tricks. I want you to want me. And you said, well, why don't we do the flame? The flame really, really suits what the, we do here. Yeah. The the guilt-free pleasure feel. Yeah. And so um, we have a very loose definition of how we choose songs. And sometimes people are so... <laughs> frustrated when they try to talk to us about the music we choose they'll say a song we're like no no that's not what we do here yeah yeah exactly well it's funny because i'm some of those people because every single song that i've suggested you said no let's do this instead yeah i still don't think you're getting what you're doing here no neither neither do i 100 <laughs> percent. that does like me in life anyways but with the flame i think we're picking a song where if you're a diehard cheap trick fan I think a lot of those fans are like, oh, no, 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 that's not the song. Don't listen to that song. You have to listen to Heaven Tonight. Go listen to that album. Don't listen to that song. Yeah. But we're standing here saying, hey, man, you don't need to feel guilty. It's a good song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when you said, why don't we do The Flame? And I was like, yes, absolutely. That makes way more sense than I want you to want me, which I'm not going to lie, is a fantastic song and one of my favorites. Yeah. Now, when you think about it, are you thinking about the live at Budokan or are you thinking about the album version? Yeah, no, the live version, which is what really brought them success. So the band Cheap Trick has been around a lot longer than I thought. I thought, you know, they're strictly a mid-late 70s band. They formed, well, at least two members of the band formed Rick Nielsen and Tom Peterson. Right. They formed back in the 60s. As a band called Fuse. Okay. And then in 1970, Bunny E. Carlos, the drummer, Bunny, we'll, Bunny. we'll just refer to him as, yeah. 
he joined and they changed their name, I think at around 72 or something like that. They changed their name to Sick Man of Europe. Fantastic name because you'll never have copyright issues. <laughs> exactly. Well, unless, you know, someone from the plague sort of copyrighted it or, or something back in the day. This brings us into the early 70s. And then on August 15th, 1973, yeah. that's when they changed their name to Cheap Trick. I heard this rumor or urban legend that they picked their name using a Ouija board. Okay, because I've heard this before. I don't know if I heard it for Cheap Trick, but I've heard this before. Okay. Alice Cooper, I thought, also picked his name from Ouija board. Okay. Yeah, I heard Cheap Trick, and it was one of those The yeah. Dangers of Rock and Roll type oh, of like man. documentary or whatever it was. Is this where we admit to uh, the world, and specifically our pastors, that the way we came up with our title was also through a Ouija board? I was shocked when it Started with a B-I-L-L. Yeah. Like, that is my name. It, and it's crazy too, because that was the name that you had picked before we consulted the Ouija board. Yeah. yeah. I was always wondering why you told me to use my non-dominant hand on the Ouija board, but uh, I don't know. I met a guy at a crossroads and he said we could have a really good, <laughs> you, can, you can either learn to play guitar. Or you, or have, you can have the okayest podcast yeah, ever. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> We're sponsored by Mephisto Shoes today. <laughs> the original lead singer of the band wasn't Robert Zander, who who everyone knows. It was originally Randy Hogan, second cousin to Hulk Hogan. A little bit of trivia there. Are you really? What? No, there's no way no, that's... No, no, of course not. <laughs> Randy Hogan is a fantastic name for a singer, only to be matched by Robin Zander. Yeah, I know, right? Those what a are like, name. Those are frontman names. Oh, man. And Robin Zander has the look. He's got that yes. kind of um, unkempt, long blonde hair, at least in the in my memories of him. Yeah. I saw a video from Cheap Trick in the mid-2000s. Yeah. Looked like he combed it and had it straightened. Oh. Oh, man. No. You want no. that unkempt. Yeah, you want it unkempt. I like that more of a Yahoo serious. <laughs> so they release maybe two or three albums that are critically well received but they don't sell too well yeah cheap trick in color and then i guess the big one was heaven tonight right is then that's before the live album yeah right okay yes that is right because yeah. the live album comes out on the heels of heaven tonight that has the surrender song which is great yes, yes. and that opens the album and they talk about it in the live album so it turns out japan Really love Cheap Trick. Yeah, they had to go all the way around the world to get popular, basically, or to find their fame. And I think this album ended up selling a million copies? Yeah. That's insane. So. Yeah. So they had that uh, Live at Budokan album. That's the the version of I Want You to Want Me that I think everyone knows. Because you can hear Robin Zander at the beginning yell out, I want you to want me and then everyone's cheering and then yeah. they just rip right into it and rick nielsen just that that awesome guitar lick right at the beginning of the song yeah are, are you sure we still can't talk about that song right we now? can talk about it but what we really need to talk about is when things crash and burn for the band yeah so riding a high from live at Budokan, and then their next album does really well dream police i think yes and then things start to slow down now you'd think that they're mtv ready because robin zander just has the look he has the look and rick nielsen is he's a character 
It's insane. The guitars are nutty. Yeah, exactly. And he has the ball cap and the and the bow tie and yeah. everything. And he has he has this very specific look about him. Yeah. And Bunny Carlos looks like not like a rabbit at all. No, no. He looks more like a, like a thoughtful uncle yeah. from a family reunion. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, I don't know how to describe him in another way. And then there's Tom Peterson. He felt really nondescript to me, at least in the yeah. video. But well, he's a bass player, so yeah, yeah. He just uh, keeps the beat. Yeah, he... which it's not just that is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Things go poorly for them because they stop selling albums. They kind of lost their way. They're picking producers, changing their sound, and none of it is landing. Yeah, they have a series of flops all in a row. And so this means that they're about to get dropped by their label. Yeah, it was uh, Epic they were on, right? Right. Yeah. And so I think the president of Epic, I think it was president or someone very high up, came to them and basically said, you have to have outside songwriters. And I think there was like 14 to 19 songwriters, might have been 14, who were on this album Lap of Luxury. Yeah. So it's pretty insulting when... You know, you've made a career, and especially for Rick Nielsen, who's written or co-wrote most of those songs. Yeah, he's kind of the principal songwriter for the band. Yeah, and they tend not to do metaphor in their songs. It's kind of shocking. I Want You to Want Me is actually literal. It's not a (laughs) metaphor. (laughs) And Surrender, I think, is just... Well, actually, Surrender is a metaphor. Yeah. I also have issue with songs called Surrender. That's always weird to me, but... Well, that's why we never surrender, just like Corey Hart told us. Well done. That's a volley. You spiked. So... We get to 1988, Lap of Luxury is coming out. Tom Peterson had left the band in 1980 and then came back for this album. Yeah. And back to this president of Epic Records who came to the band, forced their hand and said, you have to take in outside songwriters just like Hart did. And boy, did it work out for them. Exactly. So he came to the band and he said, we have two songs. We don't care which one you pick, but you have to pick one of them. Also, we want you to pick the flame. Basically is what they said. Right. Because the other song was Look Away. Yeah, which went to Chicago. But they said, like, both of these are guaranteed to go to number one. And they both did. Here's the problem. Why did Cheap Trick not just go with both? I mean, think about Look Away and think about Robin Zander singing vocals. I think that song would be awesome. Oh, it would be fantastic. Yeah. But... This is a band that doesn't even want to do one song that someone else wrote for them, let alone two songs. So the complaint on Look Away was that it had a female singing on the demo and they just didn't think that was them. They couldn't imagine (laughs) someone else singing it. And then on this one, there's various versions of the story, but they all revolve around Rick Nielsen grabbing the tape and either throwing it or crushing it under his heel. Yeah, he stomped on it. That's the versions that I heard, yeah. Right. And so you have the producer, which is... Richie Zito. Right. He's done the Eddie Money album, Take Me Home Tonight. Which is a great song. And we'll be doing that on a podcast in the future. So he has it in his heart that this song will be recorded and he will do it by hook or by crook. So he decides to divide and conquer and he goes to the probably the most amenable of the group and I think it's Robin Zander. Yeah, and he, says, he does his parts first. Yeah, so he does his vocals and he convinces Bunny Carlos 
to do the drums. And so I think they also have a drum machine going there too. But yeah, Bunny well, they probably have a click track just right. to keep time. Exactly. And then after that, because Tom Peterson and Rick Nielsen has stormed out, they finally like, fine, we'll do our parts. And so yeah. each of them record it separately. So what you're hearing are basically four different rooms of people yeah. putting something together. It gets stitched in. Yeah. And it works. It, it really does work. And there have been criticisms about the song that it's a bit of a, a middling song. I want to challenge that. Yeah. Because I got to say earlier this week, I'd mentioned The Flame to you when we talked about which song we're going to do, but I hadn't really thought through it. And I wasn't really a big fan of it when it came out. And even... On my first couple of listens this week, I was like, ah, I don't know. But the more I heard it, fittingly, that flame was kind of lit within me. Yeah. And absolutely. I started to feel it. And I was like, oh, wait, these vocals are super powerful. Exactly. There's subtleties in the way that Xander sings the lines and the words for the song. And this is why we're kind of doing this podcast. Now, we have, you know, jumped the shark at times when we picked a song everybody likes. Yeah. But picking a song like this, where people just hate it, and we just say, hey, stop right now. Thank you very much. We want you to listen to this song. I thought you were going to break into the Spice Girls there. It was really close. But I How want... we haven't done the Spice Girls yet? Oh, it's coming. Okay, good. But it grows, and it's good. The vocals are so good. Yeah. That maybe if the song was too terrific... We wouldn't notice how beautiful these vocals are. Absolutely. That's true. Going back to how the band didn't like it, I will say that I don't think the guitar work showcases what Rick Nielsen can do. Right. Because he can rip on the guitar. Right. And that's got to be tough when you're used to, I don't want to say showboating. Yeah. But also being the principal songwriter for the group. So... A, you didn't write the song, and B, you can't really let your part of the band shine through the way that you you like to. Right. And it's the 80s, so everything is pretty much controlled. Yeah. So those guitar solos are really tamed. Yeah. And even in the vocals, if you listen to the single version, you don't get to hear like the key moment of the song unless you have the album version. Yeah. Which is after 420, where we get flame song over about 15 seconds yeah yeah, yeah. which That's is right. what we're here for yeah 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 exactly so it is it is sanitized mm-hmm. what it, it reminds me of if you've seen the documentary some kind of monster about metallica and the recording of their saint a- anger album which was eh, not a great album this documentary is fantastic if you get the chance really really watch it because it, it shows a lot of the band like really humanizes the band and it was really really neat And one of the things about Metallica is they always have guitar solos in every single one of their songs. But in this album, they're saying like, no, we're going to change things around. We're not going to do a guitar solo. Things are going to be different about this album. And poor Kurt Hammett, that's all he wants to do is just rip on the guitar and just have these like searing, amazing solos. But he can't have them because... The decision or the way that the band is going on this album is, no, guitar solos are out of fashion, so let's move with the times. And you can just see he's defeated, and and I get it. I get why Rick Nielsen didn't want this song. It's a piece of peacock. He needs to fly. Well, he needs to strut, right? (laughs) That's right. Sorry, or fly. (laughs) Yeah, both are true. Yeah. 
And so, uh, yeah, existential crises abound until your song reaches number one for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, whatever. And it, and it's funny, too, because now Rick Nielsen's comments about the song are, well, you know, there's more good than bad in it, which isn't in and of itself a glowing sort of endorsement of the song, but at least he's not crushing it under his, under his boot heel anymore. <laughs> and truth be told, it probably did save their career. Yes. For... And it, and it got them through to the late 90s or mid-90s when they started doing their own independent releases. Yeah. And boy, they sound great. Like yeah. They really did pull it off. Mm-hmm. And then they reached their apex, just like Bare Naked Ladies did with that, uh, what is that, some Big Bang Theory? Oh, yeah, yeah. They got oh, yeah. to do the, that 70s show yeah. covering one of your favorite yeah. bands and mine. Yeah, Big Star. Yes, Big Star and uh, In the Street, right? That's yes. the name of the song, but they call it for, uh, frustratingly. It, yeah, that 70s song. Yeah. Anyways, kudos to you, Cheap Trick, but we are talking about The Flame here because yeah. you kept The Flame going. We should probably talk about who wrote The Flame. Yeah, it was written by a couple of British songwriters, Bob Mitchell and Nick Graham. It was actually written for another artist altogether. What was her name? A, a British blues singer. Her name is Elkie Brooks. Yeah. And yeah, she right, yeah. refused, just like Rick Nielsen, to do this. She just wouldn't do it. So she did another song called Only Love Will Set You Free. And when you hear it, it's like, okay, this is very 80s. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say it's a miss for her because it might not ever have reached the ears of the masses anyways. Yeah. It's interesting when you when you find out who wrote songs. One of the two guys was in this band called Atomic Rooster. That's right, yeah. I was listening to some of it and like, okay, there's this whole other life for these like um, artists where they do one type of music yeah. and then they do this other type. Yeah, this is what puts food on the table yeah. and their music is their heart song. Yeah. I mean, this tune definitely has a lot of metaphor in it. And I got to say... Yes. I'm kind of confused by the lyrics, so I'm hoping you're going to help me through this. I have some confusion about the lyrics as well, but I also have some some thoughts about it. Okay, here we go. We open with that sort of gentle guitar. Yeah. Right? And it's pretty memorable. If you're from that period of time, you'll know that opening. Yeah. And let's like throw this out there too. This is in 1988. So we're at sort of the peak of the power ballad. There's there's about a year and a half, two years where like power ballads were just prolificated everything. And it was like 88 to 90, I would say. For those who were there and for those who loved it, I'm sure you knew this was a glorious time. Yeah. Here we go. First one. Another night slowly closes in and I feel... So lonely. So if you're confused about that, just think about my life. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I got it now. Every night closes in and I'm lonely. Touching heat, freezing on my skin. I pretend you still hold me. Another night slowly closes in and I feel so lonely. Touching heat, freezing on my skin I pretend you still hold me I'm not sure what that line means. 
I think it works in the song that the sound of those lyrics give you that sense of well like, the opposites. loneliness, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that if you've ever burned yourself and touched something so hot that it's like it's freezing, yeah, yeah. or something so cold it feels like it's burning. Yeah, and so there's something there where you have these conflicting thoughts, I guess. Yeah, but. It is interesting that he says, I pretend you still hold me. So I have decided, did they break up? Did she move away? What happened? Well, yeah, she's not with him anymore. That's why line one, and he feels so lonely. Right. Okay. So it's not like she's moved away. They broke up? Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. This is, from what I understand, this is a song of of loss, but in the same vein, uh, well, I can't even remember all the songs. We've done so many songs about this. One of the other hundred songs. Yeah. About being there for someone through thick and thin, regardless of what the past has brought to this couple. Right. Okay. I get it. I get it. Okay. So we get to pre-chorus. I'm going crazy. I'm losing sleep. I'm in too far. I'm in way too deep over you. Now, of course, I love that line, in too deep. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Which we will do a podcast on Genesis at some point. Yeah. I can't believe you're gone. You were the first. You'll be the last. I'm going crazy. I'm losing sleep. I'm empty vibing way too deep over you. I can't believe you're gone. You were the first. You'll be the last. This is a misheard lyric on my end here. And even up until I I read the lyrics when I was doing the research for this episode, I always thought he's saying, you were the first to be the last. Yeah, me too. I thought that was it too. Which also works with the the sentiment though. Yeah. That last line of, you were the first, you'll be the last. That's a big statement. You were the first, you're going to be the last. There is no one else for me but you. Right. That's how important you are to me. There's the desperation. Yes. There is somehow a creepiness that comes in where it's like, ooh. Um, is he a stalker? Well, maybe restraining order might yeah. be. He, th- there are stalker vibes. And the stalker vibes make sense to me here because when you jump into the chorus, thinking about this, you'll be the first, you'll be the last. He says, wherever you go, I'll be with you. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. I'm being too hard on him, actually. What it's, he's saying, maybe, I'm not even able to read this whole chorus, but do you think he's saying, wherever she goes, his heart is with her? That sound about, that sounds more positive. Yeah, because there was an interpretation that it, you know, was treading on the police in terms of um, mm-hmm. uh, every breath you take. That's a big statement. You were the first, you're going to be the last. There is no one else for me but you. In in that that sense, like I'll be there for you. These five words, I, I swear to you. Yeah, that's it. Oh, when you breathe, I want to be the air for you. Oh, that's good. That's another uh, power ballad that we definitely have oh, to do. Oh my goodness, yeah. And so I do wonder if she moved away. But, yeah. But when I'm reading this, 
Whenever you need someone to lay your heart and head upon, remember, after the fire, after all the rain, I will be the flame. I will be the flame. And I like those lyrics. Yeah. Whenever you need someone to lay your heart and head upon. He's being there for her in two different ways. Your heart and your head, like your emotional and, and, and what you're thinking about, but also physically, like if you want me to be there for you physically, I am there for you. I just have this, this sentiment of like leaning her head onto his shoulder and him comforting her. Yeah. I kind of like that. I do. And I do like the image of that. Like you have a fire and then you have rain. Yes. But that one flame remains. Yeah, exactly. So. She's never going to get rid of them. Yeah. (laughs) But that, yeah, exactly. They had this fire. They had this great relationship. The rain came, put it out. But there's something that endures. Right. And I love that when he repeats, I'll be the flame. He says flame and it's a really long note on the second line and it works so well. It's in a sense, I'd say it's so 80s, but there's so few singers in the 80s who could have pulled this off. Yeah. Like really, there's not many bands. Lou Graham probably could have from uh, from Foreigner. There's one. Maybe Journey. Yeah. Well, Michael Uh, Bolton could have and we'll get to that. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. There's only about 18 people in the 80s. There's only... There's only 18 singers in 1988 that could pull this off. That's right. Now that we've gone through the first verse and the chorus, we head to verse two. Yeah. And now this is more about him being alone, isn't it? Yes. So we have watching shadows move across the wall. Feels so frightening. I want to run to you. I want to call. But I've been hit by lightning. Certainly doesn't uh, hold back on uh, the hyperbole. No. Unless he really was hit by lightning. <laughs> oh, maybe. That would be in the Cheap Tricks, other well, songs. Well, I'm on Bob Mitchell's uh, uh, Wikipedia page, and it says he was a lightning strike survivor. <laughs> That's good. That's a good... This, I feel like we're playing Balderdash now. That's good. Watching shadows move across the wall So it is interesting when he talks about shadows moving across the wall. Yeah. Is, is he sleeping on a busy street? Or uh, sorry, not on the street. I mean, <laughs> it's not going that badly for him, but he might be sleeping where he things are going on outside of his window. You texted me about half an hour before you showed up and I said, good, I'll start my research because, you know, that's usually when yeah. I start doing research for these episodes and everything. But honestly, I this is when I came up with this idea here. Do you know Plato's allegory of the cave? I do somewhat. I don't know it very well, but this is what I'm thinking about. (laughs) So he's in the cave. He's in the cave and his reality is just shadows on the wall. So the allegory of the cave is there's prisoners chained to a wall and they have this blank wall that they're looking at, but they can see shadows 
of people or things that are passing between their backs and a yeah. fire, which is causing the the light and oh. the shadow to cast upon the wall. So they get a glimpse of reality, but it's a fragmented reality. Right. So this is his fragmented reality. He's looking at these shadows on the wall. And this is where the metaphor comes in that you said isn't really in Cheap Trick songs. But this is my thinking that maybe, maybe this is a metaphor. This is Plato's allegory of, of the cave. He's frightened by what's actually behind him. He has his idea, but but he doesn't want to turn around and see what reality is. He doesn't want to know exactly what's happening. He's comfortable with his images, with those shadows on the wall. Oh, man. Xander, get out of the cave. Yeah. If you haven't been able to tell, I took one philosophy course in university, and this is something that I remember from it, barely. And then I had to Wikipedia it to... You know, fill in some of the blanks, and there's a lot of blanks. That's a pretty good recounting of the allegory of the cave. I think that was really good. I think it works. And that leads us to pre-chorus. Yep. Just can't stand up for falling apart. Can't see through this veil across my heart over you. You'll always be the one. You were the first. You'll be the last. Which sounds threatening as yeah. I read it this way. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just can't stand up. When Robin Zander sings, and I have this written twice here, in the first chorus, when he sings, whenever you need someone, and also when he sings in the in the second verse, uh, you'll always be the one, he has this sort of like a, a, a yowl when you listen to the other Cheap Trick songs that aren't power ballads. Yeah. And you can tell that he's holding back. Mm-hmm. He lets loose just enough in both of those uh, parts. Like yeah. Before he really accentuates and punctuates those lines, which is important, I think, to the verses and, and the chorus, when he's singing them, how he sings them. Again, these are the little subtleties that I picked up on because I'm really, really intuitive on these things. You are. And I have written next to the second chorus here, great vocal. This yeah. is where I really caught it. Yeah. Because he puts really... the em- em- emphasis on things. Something like that. That's correct. And it just drives it home. And then leads to that guitar solo. And um, in the video, he has the five guitar thing. Yeah. Which must be ridiculously heavy. Yeah, I would think so. It's stupid. And like, how do you play the top guitar head versus like the bottom one? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's obviously a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, you just need your guitar tech to give you another guitar. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, he tunes one of those especially now, so it sounds like the guitar in the flame. Oh, okay. One of those yeah. heads, but just <laughs> for the flame. So, um, but the guitar solo is nothing spectacular. It's sanitized. It is. And, and again, I understand why Rick Nielsen crushed the tape. Now, also, but for me as a listener back then it sounded just fine oh yeah, so yeah, yeah about yeah, as much yeah. as i could take yeah i mean it was tough enough that they were playing with a ouija board i don't want it to sound <laughs> like someone who's played with ouija boards yeah <laughs> it's like there's so much distrust of anything heavy yeah. oh man there's a reason why we're still delaying anything that we think is heavy metal which yeah. is really just pop rock but yeah exactly that's coming soon 
And then back to the pre-chorus. So we're we're hitting a moment where we're done with verses. Mm-hmm. They're going to repeat things. But you have the single version and the album version that are different. The single version is around 424 or 430, something mm-hmm. like that. And so it kind of fades off as they go into the chorus after the pre-chorus. But the album version is at least another minute or minute and a half long. Yeah, the album version is five minutes and 37 seconds. Right, so you got another minute and a bit to go. But that's critical, especially if you're doing a slow dance to this. Yes. Because as the chorus goes, he works his way through, but once he gets to remember after the fire, after all the rain, I will be the flame, and then I will be the flame oh yeah and he just and, drags oh it man yeah. it could be 30 seconds of that minute like yeah. that's just there and they let him loose even though it's the 80s xander got to fly yeah i mean rick nielsen's peacock is grounded yeah but we got a hawk out there yeah <laughs> or a condor or a robin oh it was right there right on the nose bill okay And then, of course, we just kind of fade off to the end. It yeah. does feel pretty long, though, I got to say. Like, it's a long song. Yeah. I don't know where they could have cut things, but I, I still feel it could be a bit shorter, but I need to have that long flame. Yeah. Maybe cut out one or the other. I don't I don't know. Maybe just cut out the guitar solo. How dare yeah, I? Yeah, but it kind of had to you be had there. You had to. I guess right. everything's got to be there. Yeah. And if you're slow dancing, swaying to the music while you're... um. At a, the dance, I guess you want the long version. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're the girls that are dancing with me and they're just like, when's this sweaty guy going to... Make his move. Yeah. No, that's not <laughs> No, that no. was never it. <laughs> no. All right, so we've mastered the song. Yeah. Can we, should we talk about the music video? I think so. I think this music video is absolutely dreadful. Like for what it is and what it should be, it is lacking... So much for what I expected from music videos at that time. It's just basically band footage on a soundstage. There's nothing else. There's no story. There's nothing to it that's that's telling about the song. It's just the band. But it was done by uh, Jim Yukich. And he's done a bunch of Genesis and Phil Collins stuff. Oh, man. Well, that makes sense, I guess. <laughs> I always kind of wanted more from some of those two, but... Mm-hmm. And we talked about him on on another one of our episodes recently yeah. too. I, I can't much remember more which positive one it was. about him and that. There yeah, was a couple. Just that wasn't too long ago. Yeah, but I gotta say, was it like, the uh, the Nelson episode? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, this video. I guess he really likes to have just the band performing. I think so. Yeah. But there's nothing going on. I mean, Ruben Zander, which is not his name. Let's try it again. Robin. <laughs> Robin. I mean, Robin Zander gives it and. It, I yeah. mean, they should just left it with him. On the monitors, I thought I might have seen a woman in there. Yeah, there there was some stuff. But there's but such it... a slight hint where it's like, come on, there's a story in here. Yeah. You could have him lying in bed singing it. Yeah, and, and Plato putting shadows on yeah. the wall. Yeah, and the shadows of those 18 guitars lined up on top <laughs> of each other. There's so much you could do. And yeah. 
all I know about the video is like Bunny Carlos does not look like he's in a rock and roll band. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And Tom Peterson's barely even shown on there. Yeah, it's yeah. basically focused on Bunny Carlos is a big focus, Robin Zander, and then Rick Nielsen, kind yeah. of. But then Rick Nielsen also looks like he should be in like Jimmy Buffett's band to me. I don't yeah, know how to exactly, describe it, but right? they don't look the part except for Xander. Yeah. It's so disappointing. And yeah. it it looks like they just fluffed it off that it like it didn't matter. I've talked about this before that Bruce Hornsby had terrible videos because they thought they were stupid. Yeah. And he's so regretful because now we watch them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Even these bad videos, they come on back. Yeah. Well that's that's what YouTube is for, right? Yeah. So cheap trick, big miss. Do you actually think Michael Bolton could have done it as well as Robin Sanders? I don't think he could have. I don't think he could hold back in the the subtle parts. Yeah. And I feel Xander can, but he can nail the stuff he needs to. So he's better at being um, emotive in a range. I think Michael Bolton is really great at crying and feeling really bad. Yeah. But I feel but, like... Which is what the song is about. Yeah. But there has to be this pensiveness of someone who's... Not just been struck by lightning. It feels <laughs> like he has. I feel Michael Bolton will sing it like lightning is coming out of him. Well, yeah. He's like the, the music version of Thor. Right. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. We need something a little more tender. Yeah. So. Well, time love will bring us tenderness. Oh, yeah. That's true. I'm going to throw one down we haven't done for a few months. I feel this is a perfect song for a long program in figure skating. Oh, Yes. And I feel like when they hit the long flame, it's a perfect time for a quad or a triple sow cow. Yeah. Are, are we talking pairs or are we talking singles? Mm, I was thinking singles. I was thinking more Brian Orser. But uh, I think, oh, what about dance figure skating? Would that work better? Or do you want pairs where they're throwing each other? Or am I talking too much about figure skating? I, I don't think we talk enough about figure skating. Nah, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know all the different sort of ins and outs. Actually, I know way too much. Actually, nice try there. <laughs> I figure if it was figure skating dance, like dance yes. figure skating, they probably wouldn't dance. They'd end up just doing the hip to hip and people would get super bored because you just have to dance a certain way to this song. Yeah. So true. it's going to have to be pairs figure skating. Yeah. So you, a, the, the throws and the oh, twirls. And a big and the, throw for yeah. the flame. Yeah. And whoever's being thrown... Is going to have to stay up in the air for a long oh, exactly. time. Oh, exactly. Maybe to get some sort of like rocket pack or something. Yeah, that's true. So I put all my energy into coming up with a figure skating routine. I didn't really come through the routine, <laughs> but I didn't think of a Hallmark movie. No, not, I don't think this song necessarily lends itself to a Hallmark movie because it's a song about being there for someone after you break up. Hallmark, yeah. you have to get back together. Yeah, and I feel this needs to be sung in LA and not in a uh, country town. Yeah. I mean, if it was part of a Hallmark movie, it would be at the end of the second act. Right. Yeah. So, okay. No Hallmark movie today. It would, it could be involved in one, but it can't be, can't be centered. No. The centerpiece of it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, we're not going to do that to the flame. No. Uh, mixtape time. Yep. Okay. So you got one? Yeah. You go first. Okay. So what I did is I went for kind of torch songs. Yeah. Or at least things I thought were torch songs. I don't know if all of them fit, but let's see. Do they all have fire involved in them, in the title? I thought about that, but then I think I moved away from it. We'll see here, though, what I wrote. Is Eternal Flame in there? No. That could be a good one. Oh, man. Yeah. Future episode. 
Okay, let's put Eternal Flame in at the end. Okay. Okay. Because it has fire. <laughs> it does. So I have Every Time You Go Away by Paul Young. Oh, nice. Takes a piece of him with her. Yep. Next up, I have Sergio Mendez, Never Gonna Let You Go. Yes. Because they don't actually get together in the song, but it's like, if I do, I won't ever let you go this time. Yep. Then I have Right Here Waiting, Richard Marks. Oh, yes, Because they're away from each other, but he's waiting for her, so there's that flame. Mm -hmm. And then I have an artist we talked about, Bon Jovi, but I went with Bed of Roses. Oh, okay. Where he's like, what he would like to do, wants to lay her down on a bed of roses, but tonight he sleeps on a bed of nails. Oh, man. Tortured soul, that Bon Jovi. Torch-ered soul. (laughs) Well done. That's what I'm calling this. Nicely done, Frank. Thank you. Okay. And then we finish with Eternal Flame. Yeah, he's totally. Because totally. It, there's fire. Yeah. And it's happier. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a great song, too. It is. My mixtape is comprised of songs that artists don't like. Oh, good one. Yeah. So I know that Rick Nielsen has, quote unquote, come around to the song, but I really don't think that he has. We start with Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. Oh, yeah. He I hates think, that song. And I think that song hates him. I think most people hate that guy. I think so too, yeah. I kind of hate that guy. Yeah, he's a bit of a nutter. Yeah. Anyways, Wonderwall by Oasis. They hate that song? They hate that. Uh, Liam Neeson despises Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Gallagher hates that song. Really? Yeah. What a jerk. That's a great song. Yeah. There's no way his brother, Noel Gleason, would think that. <laughs> All right, I just went honeymooners on you and you went taken. <laughs> No Gallagher. There's no way no Gallagher. That's a great song. Yeah, but... Un- unreal. Yeah, Liam apparently hates it. Screw you, Liam. Uh, Creep by Radiohead. Oh, yeah. They had to make their peace with that. Yeah, Johnny Greenwood despised that song. Me, Myself, and I by De La Soul. From, oh. Which is one of their big songs from that huge album, Three Feet High and Rising, which right. is fantastic album. But anyways, whenever they play it in concert, they... Start off with, we hate this song, and then they break into it. Wow. Love Cats by The Cure. They don't like that song? Nope. They're so depressing. Yeah. Well, same with Shiny Happy People by R.E.M. Oh, I know. What what is up with people hating fun things? I know, right? And then finally, Brass in Pocket by The Pretenders. Chrissy Hine hates that song. Or doesn't like the song. I don't know if she hates it, but uh, yeah. I like all our episodes. Yeah. Even the terrible ones. Of course. We've learned from them. And sure, I mean, I don't like going to like our local pubs where we have to do note for note replays of our podcast for people. (laughs) But I do it. (laughs) We do it. What do you mean you do it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a side hustle. But don't worry. I find someone who can kind of speak in your voice and he imitates you. Kind of. You got early 90s uh, Rick Astley to come in? Yeah. So that's my mixtape. That's a great mixtape. That was really good. Yeah. Even though you were upset by all these artists hating their some of the most popular songs. Well, it brought out a lot of emotion in me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I apologize for my anger there, but I feel like that mixtape was perfect. That's the one thing I bring to the table. No, it's a good thing. Do you want to know what was in the top 10 the week that it hit number one? I totally want to know this. So we'll work our way from 10 down to one, obviously. Mm-hmm. Number 10 was Night and Day by Al B. Sure. The Valley Road by Bruce Hornsby and the Range. And we already have two great songs. Hold On to the Night 
Richard Marks. Oh my goodness. Foolish Beat, Debbie Gibson. We have like four episodes right there. One I of them know, we already right? did. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Foolish Beat. You know she produced that herself? No. She was 17. Oh, that's bonkers. And it went to number one. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. Nothing But a Good Time by Poison. Okay. We were doing well there. Yeah. Dirty Diana, Michael Jackson. Oh, I, was to- I wasn't allowed to listen to this as a kid. That was a... Uh, I remember my parents hearing about this when my cousin played it. They yeah. want, they were very upset. They didn't <laughs> want to hear this. <laughs> New Sensation by NXS. Oh, yes. What a tune. Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard. Holy cow. What number are we at? Well, that's number three. Number two, Mercedes Boy by Pebbles. Oh, yes. Pebbles. Girlfriend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Another song we got to do. I know, right? And then The Flame by Cheap Trick. Oh, that is a top 10 for the ages. That's a great top 10. Oh, my goodness. Well, even the stuff outside the top 10, Make It Real by the Jets, Roll With It, Steve Winwood. Oh. Hands to Heaven. Oh, breathe. (laughs) Frank. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This has just suddenly sparked a whole bunch of ideas in my head. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. It was a pretty good crop of songs to go up against and two weeks hold on to the number one spot. Wow, they denied people, I'm sure. Yeah. My goodness. Wow. We want to thank you for joining us to talk about Cheap Tricks of Flame. And I hope you're kind of getting a sense of what we're all about here at Bill and Frank's Guilt Free Pleasures. We want you to remember, dear listeners, whenever you need someone to lay your heart and your head upon, that Bill and I will always be here. We will be your flame. This has been Bill and Frank's Guilt Free Pleasures.